Thank you very much. Thank you, Jean. It's actually the second time I have the pleasure to be here. Maybe some of you were here in uh, July when I first introduced what we are actually we're going to do with, uh, with Sean. And tonight, I thought that uh, we are actually going to talk about five major themes and essentially concentrating on the show here, which is the novel work of, uh, of Sean. And the five points uh, we would like to approach are um, related to the show here and the first one will be the water which will seem very obvious to you once you see the show the second the tears which is part of the water bodily water the plane will be the third the illusion the fourth and the fifth will be the dance. Patron already told me that these five points are okay, but that obviously he's going to move away from it. Okay, so to start for, with the first one, the water. The water is overwhelming in this show here at SCAF, and it has also been very present in many previous work by Sean Gladwell. And this morning, someone told me, um, you know, we had a, a press meeting this morning. Yeah, Sean is very interested in water that makes of him a very Australian artist. And I actually answered no. Well, yes, he is very much involved with water, but that doesn't make uh, of him a very Australian artist. Certainly, you're surrounded by the ocean, and the ocean is of utmost importance for, you know, the Sean's body and all what he has done with the body. But the water is actually a very important uh, element in German Romanticism, which we were discussing just a few minutes ago, and also in uh, Impressionism. There was a great show on water and Impressionism in France last summer, and there are a lot of links that are between water and art that have been really worked out by Gaston Bachelard. And Sean, you know, uh, one reason why uh, Jean had uh, Paul Ardenna and me curating this show is that she wanted this other gaze from the other part of the world on Sean's work. But also, Sean has very close links to French philosophy, to French culture. And this is not something new. This is something that's deeply in his work. But I'm not sure he really knows about Gaston Bachelard and all what Gaston Bachelard wrote about water. And these are the first questions I would like to ask you because Gaston Bachelard talked about the imaginary material, which is the water. He talks about the love waters. He talks about the deep water, the dead water, the heavy water uh, related to Edgar Poe. He talks about uh, Caron, Caron who transported the deaths across the sticks so they can rest, which is the movie that, the video that Sean Gladwell presented at the Venice Biennale were called Apologies. That's the story of it. As Paul Arden said this morning, the myths, the, the actually European myths that are deeply embedded also in Sean's work. So that's tra tra traversing water. And then there is um, the feminine water. And I'd like you to talk to us about these different aspects of the waters, the ones you'd like, but very much about the water as a feminine element. Um, I would like to acknowledge the fact that Sean, if you haven't noticed, he is actually a feminist artist. And uh, 
he, his heroes are very much women, and I would like to know whether the fact that you're so, the water is so present, which ones of the aspects in the list I just made you would like to, you know, really discuss in relation to your talk, <laughs> to your show, to your show. Uh, okay, wow. Do I need the microphone? <coughs> Maybe I need the microphone. Okay. Um, that, that is a very good opening question, Barbara. And um, it's good to put me on the spot because I, I haven't really researched the, the subject headings and that's perhaps why I tried to say that I would wander away from them. But um, Gaston Bachelard, of course, uh, is dear to my heart and I love his writings on water. But I, I, would, I was reading him like all of my interest in French theory and philosophy through translation. So there will be my understanding, which could also be seen as a misreading from uh, uh, Gaston, if he ever heard my interpretation. And I will attempt it now. I, I love this book that I read as an art student um, called The Poetics of Space. And um, for me, water is, of course, a space. It's a volume that has all of these incredible qualities, these reflective qualities. And of, of course, like Gaston had just mentioned, we can personify those qualities. We can project our own uh, feelings, thoughts, and even give that space a personality. And that's what I love to do in work, or at least attempt to do. Um, and, and as for the second part of this, uh, this question, which was quite complex and catenated, and I'm going to try and move through it if I can remember, um, I don't think I have a particular Australian way of dealing with water, although I can mention that... Um, you know, artists from Europe who have influenced me, um, they have always wanted to be in the water. They, they'd never wanted to just regard water, like people like Bassianada, who, who dies because he is missing at sea from a project. He gets in a small boat. An incredible Dutch artist, if you don't know his story, it's uh, very tragic. And he, he passes away because his boat is too small to traverse the Atlantic Ocean. Um, for me, that's a very tragic uh, situation, but because it was happening as a work, I have to consider it as uh, maybe even a calculated move. And the mystery is incredible around um, Bassianata's project. Um, but, but for me, maybe if I was to think of an Australian perspective around water, I would think that I never try and like regard it like as an aesthetic thing that you just look at. Like there's a water fountain, that's incredible, I look at that. I've always reverted back to that three-year-old thinking, which I've never evolved from, where you want to jump in the waterfall, um, not urinate in it anymore. Um, although some of my friends do still, and they're old enough to know better. Um, but it's that it's to be inside it, and it's to play with it, and, and not see it as just this kind of object or this image that you regard, but you want to be a part of it. And certainly that was what I was thinking of with the first work, uh, in this project, that you can't just look at the image, it's really about being inside it, and soon you find out that you don't get too wet, of course. Um, but yeah, I think also um, the fact that I love surfing and being in that space, in, in that kind of, and there is a poetics of that space that's very particular to being in water. Paul wants just to add. Yeah, just, um, I remarked one, one thing when we were preparing your actual show in France, and uh, I know very well the work by Sean Gladwell since uh, maybe five or, or seven uh, years, and uh, I had the opportunity to show it 
several times in France in different uh, location in uh, different e art event. But I, I have remarked one thing in, in your work which was very important for me is what it was your relationships to the soil, to the ground, to, to the, the, the earth, and to the dust also. And uh, suddenly, uh, I remarked that uh, you were really more interested in the water than in the, the soil, in the ground. You know, when I was uh, very, very young, or maybe some centuries before, you know, <laughs> we are living in an old civilization, you know, in Europe, so we are very old. But I was a farmer. I, I grew up in a farm. My, my father was a farmer, and, and, and I have been a farmer too. And one of... Uh, the first point of uh, contact with your artwork, it has been the, the earth, the ground, the, the dust, especially with these extraordinary artworks you made some years ago, uh, inspir inspired by Mad Max, for example, for very, very heavy and uh, powerful vehicles running through the desert uh, in dust with uh, uh, violence and an atmosphere of, uh, of fear and terror and so on. And now, uh, your work looks more liquid. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not, maybe not at this point, as Barbara was speaking, when she, she was speaking about the, the, the female status, uh, I would like to remember uh, that for Freud, uh, women were the black continent. Wow. <laughs> wow, yes, very, but not in a romantic way. But it was also... The, the, the liquid body. Liquid. Yeah, liquid body. Yes, it's stupid, of course, but... Well, it's not... I'm liquid, too, you, yes. know? <laughs> you know? I think, I think I'm full of yeah. water. Yeah, we're mostly yes. liquid, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are all full yes, of water. Yes, but it's, I mean, uh, no, but obviously, femininity, really, I mean, the water is where we all come from. I mean, it's the amniotic water. And I... Act Yes. yes, yes, that's my relation to, you know, to art through the body. But this is very important in both psychoanalytical and physiological ways. The fact course, that, you know, may the, this, this is why I... don't contest that, Baba. No, I just wanted to pose a no, question but, to mm -hmm. show. No, really, yeah. a very important this is good. one for me. Yes, no. You I, seem I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to... To me? No, 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 no. Okay. I think I'm going to have a bigger job. Okay. To me, it's like Sean going back to the water inside, you know, it, it relates with your interest to femininity. And so I think, you know, you may answer both our questions in one answer. And me, as a man, as a, as a mar, Whoa. I'm asking you, okay. Why, okay. why do you uh, abandon masculinity, my dear Sean? <laughs> well, what is your problem now, you know? I'm, I'm not sure You've if I want to gender <laughs> earth, the earth male against the the liquid, watery female, but I, I do like that idea that we, we all come from the water, actually. But not even just the, 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 the womb, but actually I think when you think of evolution, because uh, multicellular organi organisms were harbored by the water and then we become land-based and only very late in this stage are we actually what we are now, bipedal and uh, upright talking and driving cars through the desert. So, so I, I, I do feel like... It, we all have this kind of connection to the water. Even in a kind of um, figurative sense, I like the fact that when, and this is a very personal experience, when I'm surfing, one of the most e amazing experiences when the wave comes unexpectedly and dumps you, 
which I'm not, I know everyone knows what that means, being dumped or crushed by the wave. And for a moment, you don't really know where your body begins or ends. You don't know which way is up. You're not sure when your next breath of air is. You hope it's soon. And, and, but for me, that's a very exciting moment because I've, I've lost what I think are the parameters and also the control over my body. And it's water that is this immense power that crushes down on me. And um, I personally find that quite exciting. Um, there's also, of course, fear that feeds into the adrenaline. But um, I also think of someone like, say, Turner needing that experience, strapping himself to the mast. And I'm not sure if anyone saw the Mike Lee film recently, Mr. Turner. Yeah, yeah. Of course, this has become a very romantic trope. But I still love, I do feel that um, there is, a, there is um, still a case for experience. That to experience that, then I feel like I can make work about it somehow. But it, whether that's a, a feminine um, perspective or not, I feel like I must agree that a lot of my heroes are well, heroines. They're, they're very strong women. Um, they, they defy any kind of uh, uh, sort of, I don't know, boundaries. They're very um, capable. Uh, and I find myself thinking, um, not in that way, but after them. I chase their idea. I try and connect to them. So I, I, I take, I take the opportunity okay. to, to move uh, to the second of our themes, if you would agree, which is still water, and it's still bodily water, but I'm, I'm mentioning tears. And uh, tears are always a type of water that, uh, you know, sometimes we think are feminine. I was always um, um, being against that, and as Jean mentioned, I have four daughters, and when we were in the park, which I hated to go, but sometimes I still went, and they would fall, I would say, don't cry, you're a girl. And everybody would look at me in a very strange way. But, uh, you know, the interest here for tears is about this very particular space that Sean Gladwell is exploring in this SCAF show, which is a space that's both private and public. It's the chair in which you sit in the plane. And I was asking someone who has been very um, involved in preparing the show, do you cry? Do you cry in airplane? And he said, yes. And when do you cry? Well, when I watch a romance comedy. And so you are alone sitting in the plane. You watch the video just in front of you, and that's the scenery that Sean put up. And you cry being alone, but, but among the others. And obviously, when I think of tears and, and water, I can't not just read this. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhäuser gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain, time to die. Too I much mean, too romantic. I would like to cry now. <laughs> Remember, it's a blade runner. Uh, but it's a robot which is speaking in, uh, yes, in this yes. movie. It's not a uh, human and being. Everyone knows it's from so, Blade Runner. Yes, yeah, and I think Sean is... is I, Are I would you like programmed you to, comment to be a romantic, Sean? On Maybe. Tears and... Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I have to admit that I have cried on planes, of course, but I was thinking 
why? Why do we cry on planes? Why did I cry on, on a plane? And it was because I, I feel like I'm, I'm susceptible to just crying for no reason, but I think it's because maybe I was exhausted because the cabin pressure, not because of the alcohol, I don't think, maybe, um, because I just left family, or um, not because it's, they're not the tears of fear, it's not because I don't trust technology, I completely trust technology to carry me from A to B. But um, there's just this particular space that for some reason, you know, the super ego shut down and I stopped operating for others and I started to operate for myself and I was in this seat, which is of course a public space in the aircraft cabin, but I somehow nominated it as my own little pod like we all do, especially after seven hours. It becomes your little space. And um, I felt like I could do anything in that space. But then my project changed in a perverse way where I was interested in watching other people cry in planes. And it wasn't um, my role to make them cry. I didn't want to do that. I just liked to observe people who also had that sense that they're in a very public space, very confined, um, crammed space. But for some reason, and it could be, could be anything, I mean, personal reasons, I don't know, I would see these people just uh, unveil themselves somehow, denude themselves somehow. And for me, this was interesting. This was an interesting thing because I think it's very rare that you see um, people in private yet in public, this, this beautiful contradiction of space. They laugh as well. Haven't you ever been irritated by someone in a plane roaring with laughter? Yeah. You don't know or care why, you know, and what do you do about it? Shush! Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 I think the best thing to do is to switch on to the movie they're watching. Really, because if it's that good... You know, <laughs> you should, yeah. yeah. But sometimes I wonder if you are not uh, crossed by uh, religious visions, and uh, especially Christic visions. And uh, you, you are never speaking about religious things, but uh, all your artwork is uh, emerged, involved in uh, images from mythology, very ancient mythology, and also Christian mythology. Yeah. When we see this... Uh, Pilot, it's a woman pilot. She is nearly walking on, on the on, on the water as a as a priest. Uh, when she open uh, her arms, it, it's like a cross. Yeah. Uh, uh, we we cannot uh, not to think at that, and especially when you are spoke, speaking about tears, tears of, of the Christ, you know, lacrima Christi. Uh, oh. Also, it's a, it's a very good wine from Italy. <laughs> but uh, not only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was a suffering too. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be crying yeah. after a bottle. I'm, I'll chase so, you up on that reference after. Yes. Um, no, 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 it's true. I mean, I'm, I haven't really thought about it, but when I do, I always find a religious reference. In fact, even the chair uh, that we're talking about, this aircraft chair that's under a waterfall. It's like a uh, throne, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a throne. And it's actually, throne. one of the key references, I have personal references, like I'm crying in an aircraft, I see other people crying in an aircraft. Of course, I have to draw upon my own experiences, but then I think always of art historical experiences, or, or references at least. And one was these series of paintings that Francis Bacon did in 19, between 1952 and 1953, which were... Uh, appropriations of Velazquez's um, uh, The Pope Innocent X, and what Bacon did was seriously disfigure those paintings. I'm not sure if you see the, 
the, the, uh, the original Velázquez, very beautiful painting of the Pope, looking very austere in the chair. Bacon's version is what we know colloquially as the screaming Pope paintings. Yes. And the, hair, the head of the Pope is screaming. You can see the teeth. It's very animalistic. And I thought, with this painting, is very interesting because uh, Bacon chose to have all of these vertical uh, stripes. And I misread those stripes as being the Pope screaming in a rainstorm. But he's also putting the Pope in a jail. Yeah. With uh, yeah, yeah. drawing, a very precise drawing around the, the figure of the Pope. Of course, you know, yeah. He's as a prison. prisoner, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or even like, I mean, you know, some Deleuze has written about him or other critics have written about that painting as, you know, that maybe he's being attacked by atheists or, you know, there's so many different um, readings of the work. But I also thought, wow, it's kind of how I feel after a long-haul flight, you know? Yes. I think Barbara's keen to come back to the message, uh, to the, to the oh, question. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I just would like to expand a little bit about Pope Innocent X and the painting by Velázquez and then the painting by Bacon because those have been extremely interesting and taken back by many of the greatest, actually, uh, contemporary artists. And not only Sean Gladwell, but, for example, Matt Collishow has made... Uh, uh, work which is called um, uh, The Loss of Innocence and based on that painting where you actually see an image of the Bacon painting sort of floating on a, on a similar screen as your mist screen and this is shows just how deep these themes actually are not only for Sean but really an overall uh, um, scene. Now about you know, the Christic yeah. arms, yeah? No, 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 just. No, I, I just wanted to note that uh, for Bacon, uh, his uh, ambition was to, to realize a, a painting of the human scream. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was inspired, uh, for instance, by uh, Eisenstein movies, uh, October, Curace uh, Potemkin, Potemkin, Dreadnought, you say in, uh, in English, I don't know, yes? So, so you don't want to, to, to make the image of somebody who is screaming, no. No, no, but I, but I like I, that when Eisenstein did the Odessa steps sequence with the baby buggy, yeah. yes, this is probably, this is the, probably the most mm -hmm. uh, powerful filmic image I can ever think of, the scream in that is. And then I think that Bacon somehow captures the same power in that one image as well. Um, that they're, they're, so, they're so haunting that almost it's the, to the point where art can traumatize you just through the image. Mm. As what well, about Munchen? I mean, everybody would think of that as a, yeah. another kind of way in to the scream, yeah. huh? Yeah, um, and I think... Yes, but in Munch, it's not the, the character uh, who is uh, screaming. It, it is a nature around him. Yeah. He, he, he wrote that very, very precise, precisely. The, and, the, and the figure this, is. Uh, this allows me just to mention that tomorrow at uh, uh, 6:30 p.m. at UNSW, uh, we're going to show a video forever session, and you're all invited if you'd like to join, which is going to be around Sean's work, but with videos of many other artists, and the theme is fight and flight, which are very deeply embedded in, embedded in Sean's work. And actually, the first video we're going to show is about screaming.
screaming, it's Ulai and uh, Marina Abramovich screaming at each other until Marina actually uh, wins. But to no, come no, no, back... No, but, uh, no. Yeah. no, it's too simple. Uh, now, to come back <laughs> no, to... Ulai, let, let, to, let's, to come uh, back uh, to the win. plane and Nancy uh, Burr... Because they want to be Burr. in peace, you know. So. I would... <laughs> Why well, do you think I'm sitting here? <laughs> okay. I would like to come back to Nancy Bird and the plane and the fact, you know, that what Paul Arden mentioned previously, the arms open like, you know, uh, crisp or flying away, which is a position that we have seen Sean uh, very often in, in Mundi Mundi, in, uh, you know, in other, in many other uh, films where he's in the water, in the Flying Dutchman. And I think, um, yeah, there is a Christic reference, but I think it goes beyond, much beyond that, and it's actually about transcendence. It's, uh, uh, to me, it's more something, a metaphysical position than a Christic position, and I feel that what we see of Nancy Bird, you know, there are two major interpretations for the, the film of Nancy Bird that's in the major room of SCAF. One is that Nancy Bird is looking for someone she's lost. You know, uh, uh, one of her best friends who was a pilot, I don't know. Charles Kingsford-Smith, who uh, was her teacher and mentor. So she's looking for him, he was lost. Yes, mm. and then the other interpretation, which is the one I would like to, to favor, is that actually Nancy Bird is like a self-portrait of Sean, and when she opens her arms like that, it's like Sean doing that, and that actually she is looking for or he is looking for himself, and that this again leads us to metaphysical search of the other self, and I would like you to elaborate on that, please, Sean. Yo. Okay. Yeah, I, I, like, I like your questions, Barbara, because they're kind of unanswerable in a way. But I, I'm gonna give it a, a go. I mean, I, I, think, I think this is my exit strategy. Um, and, I, and it refers to the way that I sort of trained as an artist. When I went to London uh, on a scholarship, I went to Goldsmiths College, which was um, a very severe art school in terms of them trying to program me. And I resisted for a time, but then I sort of gave up after a while and just got into the, drank the Kool-Aid in a way. And what, what, what I did take away from Goldsmiths, one of the core uh, ideas was that I would always privilege the viewer's interpretation over my intention as an artist. So if you, if you have a reading of this work as, 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 the, as Nancy Bird actually being a signifier for myself, my own desires, my hope, then I, I have to go with that. That's actually totally valid. Um, and in actual fact, when I was a child, I, I was given uh, two choices by my father who came from the military. I, I come from a military family. And he said, you can, you have, you have, all of this freedom, Sean, you can either go to Boy Scouts or the Australian Air League. And I thought, that's great. Wow, so much ahead of me. So much variety. And I, I chose the Australian Air League because it, I was a plane enthusiast as a child. I couldn't stop thinking about planes. But in the later stages of the Australian Air League, you start training to be a pilot. And so I did a lot of the theory for learning how to be a pilot. And I wanted to get my PPL, private pilot's license, which I'm still wanting to get uh, all these years later. I haven't had a chance to do it. And so really when I hear of Nancy Bird Walton's story of how she um, was so determined and capable and 
placed herself within an industry which would have been very difficult as a woman at that time in Australia, I think, what, what have I got to complain about? I can't even get my private pilot's license today. So, of course, I uh, heroicize her. There's no doubt about it. And that's why I really um, led myself to wanting to do a video portrait of her. But also, I, I do recognize this, the first reading, which is, of course, my own interpretation of Nancy Bird searching for Charles Kingsford Smith um, in the Andaman Sea when he sort of disappeared in 1935. And I imagine her looking for him, wanting to find him, because the body in the plane was never recovered. So uh, it's a great mystery, similar to the Bassianata story, actually. I never thought about that. But uh, I, for some reason, I'm obsessed with people uh, being lost at sea. Well, just an example right now, the Malaysian plane, the bodies weren't recovered. Paul, how do you interpret that? <coughs> that, uh, you know, uh, Nancy Bird, or it's uh, an actress playing, Nancy Bird's no longer alive. You'll see in the video, swimming and looking and you'll see. Yes, it was difficult for me because uh, Sean uh, previously uh, had presented the, the, the artwork to us, Barbara and me. Mm. So uh, we... we participated, if I could say, at the creation, not at your place, of course, but it's difficult now to see the hard work when it is finished mm. after um, to be involved in it uh, mm -hmm. during its creation. So I was a little bit surprised and uh, I had a problem with interpretation and uh, I could not first see uh, the, the question of this uh, this woman looking for a man uh, who is lost uh, at sea uh, mm. with, a, with his plane. I, I first see uh, a, dan a dancer, a, a dancer in water. I, I, saw, I saw the, the Christ, also some uh, mythologic images, and uh, uh, but not this story. That's totally valid. So, but you see, couldn't have the seen the story because cool. you didn't know it. <laughs> and no, neither right. did I. No, that's it. So, that, you know, unless you know the story, you can't imagine it. It's, yeah. It's but, a but in a way, the, 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 the mm. historical details are of no consequence to the reading of no, the work. No. And, and really, that's why I'm in the business of video art rather than making cinema, narrative-based cinema, mm. because I love the fact that the images are so open. They can mean everything to me and nothing to someone else or you know, vice versa. I can try and empty the image out of any meaning and just op open it to interpretation. But I, I think that um, the, the idea of reading it in a concrete way, it is a, an incredible dancer who's, who's who, and I, I really almost drowned her. Um, I feel very bad about it. <laughs> we, we asked uh, Catherine Pewey. I, I think that she's probably one of the best contemporary dance, female dancers in, a, in Australia, dancer full stop in Australia, and um, uh, we asked her to swim in very heavy surf, the, this heaving swell, and there's a certain amount of acting involved, but of course I love experimental cinema and I love method acting where the whole notion of acting starts to break down. At some point she was really struggling for air, and I owe her many meals and presents <laughs> And I will always make it up to her somehow. I guess I'll yes. make it up to somehow. And just one, one other thing. I felt the, the really power of the disappearance because uh, in this work, as uh, in a lot of yours, uh, it's possible for the viewer to disappear in, in the artwork. I and felt for seasick, me, yeah, it's, very, it's, it's something which is very strong because 
uh, in the most of the proposition, art proposition, artists are making uh, artworks as slogan. I don't know if it's clear. They, they give messages, they, they, they drive you in, in some direction. And here, the, the main direction is the purpose to, to be lost in the artwork. And uh, it's a kind of freedom, uh, actually, where, you know, uh, you, you, you turn uh, on the, the TV and the, the screen of the computer and uh, always you, you are uh, bombing with uh, things to do. You have to do that, you have to be there, you have to, to be like that and not like that. So, and here, the, the, the purpose is you have maybe to disappear. Yeah. And this artwork is permitted that. And for me, it's very, very strong today. We need to disappear, really. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm, yeah. Obsessed, I'm obsessed with disappearance. Oh. So, of very different thing, you know. It's very, very far from the question of a woman pilot, which is looking for a, a man. Uh, no, well, that's the more literal one, one thing. Reference. If you know Charles uh, Kingsford Smith, Barbara, revenons à nos moutons. Oui, Jean. Yeah, just to one more word about this question of disappearance, because uh, Sean initially mentioned uh, Bastian Ader, and I just would like to add the title of this piece that he mentioned, which is actually In Search of the Miraculous. And I think this is, you know, when we talk about disappearance, disappearance in some way, that's what it is, is to search for the miracle, for the transcendence, for another self, another life, and in order to go there, we have to disappear. Now, I would like to um, make a few comments about Freud's interpretations of uh, Sean's uh, work, because I've actually discussed this with uh, Freud yesterday. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and me with Jacques Lacan. So, uh, and Freud, wow. we, we have not finished. Freud told me... <laughs> Freud told me that there are two um, very interesting aspects in Sean's work. First is that the flight is everywhere, you know, the plane, the flight, flying, and obviously, uh, um, you know, this for um, Freud is a very direct translation of uh, sexual power, in particular of male sexual power. You know, a man who dreams he's flying, um, it's, he is erected, um, um, and what? What? this is <laughs> yes. I, is being recorded. <laughs> what is it? And please uh, excuse you're, you're me, to, but I have you're asked to make for, a league against I, this woman. I have asked okay. permission to. Ask my permission. If I asked permission to discuss these aspects, and Jean gave me permission. So I hope this is okay. And uh, because there is another extremely central work in this show, which is actually quite hard to see because it is the video that's in the back of uh, the, the seat of the, uh, the chair, the lacrima chair. And this uh, um, film is, uh, uh, is about a deluge. It's about getting overwhelmed by water. And here you have a car, a car which is a very symbol for uterus and the man comes out of the car and when you look at the car and you have to look at this video really carefully it's a fantastic it's tiny but it's fantastic you have these two wheels that are at the back of the car that really look like breasts and then you have a belt a belt around the car that look like this part of the body and then you have the hips of the car 
And it, I mean, it's very obvious. That's what Freud told me. And then, you know... But where, where is the phallus? And then it's coming. It, it, it's coming because then the car, the, car gets, the car gets washed with a white foam. Oh. And I mean, this is... It, yeah, it's... Okay. Um, it's really, you know, the, the way that when I look at this video, and it's very long, it's 26 minutes, so it gets... It's a great ejaculation. Really, yes. it gets, 26 minutes. Uh, it gets very. No, I'm sure that God exists. You know, I've no more, no doubt. Oh, yeah. It no gets more. very hypnotic, <laughs> and I would like you, Sean, please, as uh, you know, the creating artist, now to comment on this delusion. You know, whether what Freud told me yesterday yeah. is close to you know your interpretation, or if again you're going to tell us about Goldsmith College and you wanted to say something completely different, but it's okay that we interpret it like that, please. Wow. Wow, that's, uh, yeah. Okay, congratulations. That's a, that's a, that is a, an incredible uh, question. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, I don't think I'm going to be able to mount a kind of non-sexual defense against it. I'm going to have to go with um, the idea of sexuality. And that's okay, because I believe in that. And, and if, I'm, if I believe in the body, if I always place the body in my work, and the body is in space... And I, and I, like, say, interpret space through the body. And, and I really believe that it's truly the only thing I really own is my body. After all of the human legal institutions and all of the concepts, it's the body and the mind and its contents, of course. So I have to uh, then uh, prepare myself for being completely inside of the body and expressing every aspect of it. And um, the, your question is probably the reason why I don't go to a psychoanalyst. <laughs> because I just hear too much of the truth. And I feel like I, I get the truth through uh, making art anyway. That's, that's my therapy, that's my catharsis. And um, I have to be completely open about um, sexualizing the world, both through the body, but also seeing objects as metaphors for that. It keeps us alive. It's, of course, a very interesting and exciting interpretation, Barbara. And I love that car. And, I, and, and I'm not maybe I'm talking platonic love, but maybe I have to look at that. It's a, it's a beautiful car. The car that you're mentioning is actually the car from Mad Max 2. It's the Ford Interceptor that, in a way, in Mad Max, the car becomes a kind of personality or a character in these three, the two films. In the third film, it didn't appear. The fourth, who knows, we're about to see like soon. Devils. Yeah, they are like devils, yeah, and they're black, and you, even the fact that they're black, I feel like I project my own image onto the car. Um, but the car has, of course, always been a very sexualized object, both, not even in Australia, this is just a, a Western, a non-Western uh, phenomena. We fetishize cars, we fe fetishize objects. And so um, this car I am in love with, it's a very beautiful car. I, I do, I do uh, have an ongoing relationship with the car. Uh, we've been going out for um, nine years now. I, I first used the car in, in a work that I showed here with Jean when she was uh, operating as a commercial gallery, Sherman Galleries, and I've been working with that car ever since, so I must admit, yeah, it's a great-looking car. Can I uh, uh, intercept for a minute and just mention that uh, the positions were reversed, but there was a show which... I didn't see the catalogue uh, arrived here, called Moto Poetique, that where Paul was the lead curator and Barbara uh, uh, the associate curator, that took place in Lyon uh, at a new museum there, 
uh, which was how long ago, Barbara or Paul? This was in February last year. Yeah, so very recent. And Paul, would you like to talk, Paul, just for a minute about Moto Poetique? And because Moto is Mota, huh? And Poetique, you, you understand. No, it was, uh, in the, it was um, a show I prepared. Uh, it was related to my deep love for motorbikes since I am young and also for machines, a mechanical machine as you, because when you, you grow, grow up in a farm, you are always surrounded by two things, animals and machines, uh, always. And you are always doing, you are always playing with animals and doing mechanics uh, with, uh, with a machine. So I, I wanted uh, since a long time to do a show around the, the, the motorbike as an uh, object of art. Uh, why? Because a lot of artists are, are using this uh, machine to, to make artworks, and especially uh, Sean Gladwell, and it's a reason why I, I decided to show um, a very, very not gorgeous uh, work, but uh, impressive work, which is uh, uh, Mundi, the, the approach to Mundi Mundi. And uh, we, we can see on, it's a video, a two-face video, um, on which you see uh, Sean Gladwell on his motorbike. It's a beautiful Yamaha Air1. Yes, it's important for me. And um, great looking bike. Yeah, beautiful he bike. is a uh, film uh, from uh, his back. The camera is behind you. And uh, you begin to, to ride. And suddenly you, 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 you push your body towards the, 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 the sky. And you open, you wide open your, your, your arms. And uh, I decided to, to choose this, this work uh, for the cover of the, the catalog. I remember. It's so, on the cover. And, uh, it, it's, it's very bizarre because yeah. uh, uh, I, didn't know, I did not know what, what is Mundi Mundi. And I was thinking that it was a symbolic title for this uh, artwork, approach to Mundi Mundi as the cosmos, for instance, or the cosmic space. And uh, he said to me, no, no, it's a village in, uh, in the bush. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> But, 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 but again, but it, I, was, it was too late. The cover was already printed. So, <laughs> I have a few. All right, back. Revenons à nos moutons. Come on, Barbara. Any more questions? How long have we got? I don't know where a staff member is now. It's quarter to six. Do you want to go? I think room for a couple of questions, huh? And then we will go, and you can sit on the lacrima chair. You can be drenched. We've got towel, towels. If you've had your hair done recently, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but, of course, you can walk through the mist screen, and you will be encased in water in the show. So who would like to ask a question? We've got room at time for about maybe three, depending on how long they are. Don't make a speech. Ask a question. <laughs> okay, talk loudly, though. You're a, you're a terrific painter. When are we going to see the return? Oh, Chorn's paintings. When are we going to... Well, we're going to see uh, them. Yeah, I've repressed that part of myself. <laughs> Actually, there are two paintings in um, Barbara's and Paul's show at... at um, UNSW Art and Design, formerly COFA. We, I do have a, a few paintings there. Beautiful and, paintings. Yeah, that were commissioned by Warwick Haywood, who is in the audience somewhere. So, yeah, at the, at the um, Australian War Memorial. 
Thanks, Warwick. Thank you, Warwick, for all, because the War Memorial in the Collection Plus show, you know, there were loans from other collections, and the War Memorial has been an absolute heaven to deal yeah. with, so thank you. And there are quite a lot of borrowed works. Uh, I just would like to add uh, one little thing which I wanted to mention at the end since we're talking about war. Um, because the, the, there are a lot of the works relate that uh, Sean did in our show, but in particular, there is something that makes the link maybe to the most dear to Sean work that he's presenting here, which is his book, because he's now included speech uh, words into the various media he's using, painting, uh, video, drawing, um, performance, and uh, words. Text. text. And this is, um, yes, installation. And this is actually an installation I want to mention to you, which is a helmet of a um, uh, warrior. And in them, there are seeds growing to poppies and, and uh, you know, herbs, vegetables. And this is such a message of hope. And it's obviously parafunction is using the, the, helmet of army to grow, you know, ecology, to, to go towards growing and not towards uh, dying. dying. Yeah. And I think this is a wonderful message, especially that here we are on Good Hope Street. And, um, <laughs> I didn't and choose the day. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want not to mention that because I think it's a. Uh, it's like a, a key point. Um, you know, just to mention one piece at UNSW. Okay, there's some wonderful pieces. They're, uh, they're yeah. older pieces. Remember. Thank you. Okay. Question yeah. two. Yeah, Rebecca's got a, a microphone, or you can shout it out. Come on, guys, you can't have listened to all of that and not had a single question. Psychoanalysis. I please. mean, really. <laughs> Come on. Here's a question. Illusion. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Keep it short-ish because we'll have some yes, questions. Yes, and yeah. especially that on Saturday morning, yes. there is another artist talk uh, with Sean um, about his book, which is called uh, Pata Functions, which actually he wrote together with the most eminent philosophers here um, in uh, Australia. And uh, there is, at the beginning of the chapter that's entitled Pata Functions, there is this quotation of uh, Baudrillard, who says, as long as illusion is not proved to be an error, uh, it's as valid as reality. And to me, this means that any work of art, any illusion, um, as long as it's not proved to be an error, and if it's a good work of art, it's never going to be, uh, nobody's going to be able to prove it's an error, is actually as important as reality. And I would have loved, obviously, uh, Sean to comment at length on this, but I think he's going to do that on, on Saturday, Saturday morning. Yeah. So please come back. At what time? Uh, it's 11 o'clock, I think. 11. Yes, yeah. yeah. so there is a talk specifically on uh, the, uh, the book, which is in a very large format in the show. It's like a sort of giant book, but uh, they're little versions, so you can take it away. If you're intrepid and courageous enough to plow your way through that, we'll... I don't know what we'll do, but we'll do something special. I'll have uh, to Barbara, think of we'll it. we'll test you on that. <laughs> if you read the essay, we, we will ask you to uh, undergo an examination. All right, third question. Come on. 
we've got, because people are going to start pouring in in a minute. Go on, Rodney. Sean, do you regard your works as finished? At what point do you look at a video and say, it's finished, and following on from that, do you go back and say, oh, I could have done something else? Yeah. Did you hear that? At what point is a work finished uh, in Sean's man? Yeah, it's a good question, because... Um, of course, I have to finish things for deadlines, mm. and I wanted to honor Jane's deadline in this case and finish it for tonight. Um, but then also, <laughs> I... Uh, Thank you. <laughs> but no, it's a very important question. We were speaking uh, about impressionism, but we, had, we have uh, in France a very famous example of uh, when uh, an, an artwork is it finished. You imagine uh, Renoir, Auguste Renoir is a very famous painter, and he's making a nude, a female nude, you know, in painting. And he say, when I, I am, uh, when I have uh, the desire to puff a clack. To, to put it away. Voilà, on yeah. the house of the bottom of my model, it's okay. It's okay, it's of done. Of my painting, it's okay that it's finished. It's okay. done. Very Pygmalion uh, <laughs> reference there. <laughs> No, this, is, this was my yeah. second point, actually. I, yeah. Um, because I, I love the Renoir quote, of course, and I can person, personally relate to that. Um, but I do think of, uh, say, uh, the philosopher Heraclides and this idea of Heraclitean flux, and it's a very important um, philosophy through uh, this through Heraclides that it's like this kind of the, you know it's never the same river twice, and I feel like that the the idea is always flowing. And uh, actually, another philosopher talks about this, Deleuze, a lot. The idea is always moving. It's even if I go back to the first idea and I've recorded that idea in video or in text or whatever, I'm always going to perpetually reread that idea again anyway. And so it's just um, circumstance that I have to finish a work. But I'm actually always thinking of doubling the work and reproducing the work, transforming the work, mutating the work, etc. Yes, and in particular, this show, I think it's actually beginning a series of work and it's not finishing or closing. Mm. I think, you know, Sean had the great privilege to have the support of Jean to produce completely new work, but I think it's still very fresh. And from those ideas and, and forms that are here, I feel that there is a lot to come. So I, I feel it's certainly not finished. Uh, if I may. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and in, in the Duchampian notion of work, it actually is the audience member that completes the work. Mm -hmm. So until someone's actually getting wet in that chair, it's not really complete. And I recommend you maybe finish it for me. <laughs> you look like you'll dry off pretty well, quickly. <laughs> Rodney could probably do it. One more question, and then if I would like you to see the show, you've made a big commitment to come and spend an hour or more here to see the show before hundreds of people come in, because it's it's you need to you know you need to experience it and if you don't go soon you'll be experiencing the crowd not the show so well, there was someone there though who wanted to ask a question oh, I just, um, Barry I just want to uh, acknowledge 
I want to acknowledge Barry because it was with Barry Kildoulis that most people in this room know who's running the Sydney and Melbourne uh, Contemporary Art Fairs now. Barry worked here for a couple of years um, in the commercial days and Barry took me to... I knew Sean's work before this point but he took me to Sean's studio uh, and we saw Storm Sequence together and that was Barry who dragged me and I said, oh, I thought he was a painter and he, <laughs> Barry said, he's moved over to video. I said, what have we, how are we going to sell video? <laughs> and the rest is history. Go and see the show. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.